0: We'll you everybody, and welcome to the HTML All Things Podcast, episode number 55, Top 10 Tips for Beginner Web Developers. I'm your host, Matt Lawrence, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Mike Garan. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far and you want to support us, there are a couple ways that you can do that. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or on the podcast platform that you listen to this on. You can also check us out on Patreon. We only have two tiers right now, but the $3 tier will give you a shout-out on the podcast, and we will share your website link in the show notes. And probably the most important one is just to share this podcast with your friends. Let's see your developer friends and other people who are interested in web development that we are here and around. And they can also come and hang out in our Discord server, which has uh, finally launched. It's been launched for a while now and is actually really growing rather quickly. It's pretty active in there. People are getting a bunch of help and helping others and all that crazy stuff as it comes with the community vibe, I was I was going to trail off to a better slogan than that, but the community vibe is now coined by me. So there you go. So I'm going to pass it on to Mike now for the weekly pain point.
1: Mike, take it away. All right. So weekly pain point this week was cross-platform development. Uh, just having some issues because... We've always used kind of an HTML5 web app approach. Do do it Cordova, is it PWA, whatever, whatever system works, so that we have one code base to work on. And this is what I'm talking about, like with a, one of our major clients. But lately, there's been some issues with some performance. So one of our applications has is really media heavy, and it also has camera functionality. And the camera functionality, if you use HTML5, the quality isn't very good. So uh, we're trying to figure out a different approach, something that's cross-platform, but at least can give us a good performance boost in camera and also performance boost in many other things. So the things I'm looking at are like React Native, Vue Native, uh, Native Script, and Flutter. And I'm seeing if I want to do kind of a HTML5 base and just add plugins and launch those plugins with intents on both iOS and Android, but I'm not sure yet. I don't know how I'm going to approach it hopefully it's not too too complicated but it's something that i've definitely been kind of thinking about for a really long time now i finally have to put it into uh, fruition and hopefully get something get something going by next week uh what about you matt
0: Uh, So this week has been a bit of a communication week for me, and within that, we had a bit of a breakdown in communication, uh, very very specifically with layman terms versus technical terms. So we kind of had a situation in which we were kind of throwing around terms in a meeting, and it ended up being that some some, some technical terms were used by a person who's not technical, so then we got... Some like weird feedback and then we got all confused and we didn't know what to do and they didn't know what we were supposed to have and it was like this whole thing. So uh we ended up fi- figuring it out, of course, but that's c- sort of my weekly pain point because it's something that can come up really easily and it's something that a lot of people should pay attention to because as you use technical terms, even when you're talking to like a regular person, if you as you use technical terms, the people who are non-technical may start using those terms and not use them correctly. And so that might start a bit of a whirlwind where you're like, now what are we doing? So, uh, which is literally what I asked at the end of the conversation. So just a bit bit of a shout out there, um, just in case you guys need to prepare for that. And uh, I've lost my place completely, so I'm just going to trail off instead of having dead air as entertaining as this is. Anyway, uh, this episode we have, um, is this actually supposed to be here, Mike? No. This is not supposed to be here. Well, we're going to keep this in in the episode then. My weekly pain point is Mike leaving a link in the <laughs> in the show notes where I, for some reason, thought I was in the wrong document there for a moment. And I was like, wait a second. Did I somehow open up something else at Google Drive? And I started to panic while talking. So Matt
1: shocked face right there.
0: That was like, what the fuck is going on? Okay. Anyway, um, this week we're doing tips. So uh, Mike's going to do, Mike has a, a group of five. Um, I have a group of five, hence the top 10. And we're just going to kind of go back and forth, go through them.
1: So Mike's going to kick it off. So take it away. All right. Uh and I think what what we want to do with this is like we've been asked many times kind of what what's your advice for a beginner web developer and uh we've throughout all all of our podcast episodes we've probably talked about a lot of these tips, but now we're kind of going into a condensed form uh hopefully someone that's just getting in will just listen to listen to this episode as a starting point. Obviously this isn't the be all end all of their journey, but it's a good little like little tidbits of information, I believe, for them to give to give them a good start and to get their mind in the right place for learning web development. That's kind of what I want to do with this episode. So to to start off, uh something that we've talked about many, many times, start from the basics. And what I mean by that is go with the standard HTML, CSS JavaScript approach for the front end development. If you're looking at web development as a career path, if you're looking at web development as a way to go into like the web development industry, I think knowing the base concepts, the base programming concepts of those three languages is where anyone should start. Uh, and you can do that many different ways. You can look at videos, you can look at, uh, you know, courses and stuff like that, but I'm not going to be talking about exactly how to learn those three because everyone's kind of a different kind of different learner. And I am working on a, not a curriculum, but an an advice episode where I'm going to be going through, if you're this kind of learner, this is the way you should start. If you're this kind of learner, this is the way to start. That'll go into more depth on that. But for now, just know that try not to be confused by all the different, you know, frameworks out there, all the different technologies that are built on top of these three very key parts of web development. Learn only these three parts first. And the thing too, with, with people, I find that
0: they're, that they're oftentimes they will get, they will kind of pigeonhole themselves into learning something specific. Like they'll go to learn WordPress or they'll go learn another CMS or another sort of language or a framework. And it's really important I think to drive this point home that the basics HTML CSS and JS can do exactly what those frameworks advertise. So maybe not in the same method, like maybe it will be quite like quite a lot more involved, but at the end of the day the browsers only understand HTML CSS and JS. And so as a result, you really have to you really like you this is this is kind of the the baseline. This is how this is where you where you should be starting. And yes, if you're doing something where Uh, something really easy I'm trying to think off the top of my head is an Ajax call. Well, an Ajax call is more involved in JS, but it can be done, but it's way more, it's way easier in something like jQuery. So people might go, oh, I'll just learn jQuery. But at the same time, it's like, no, no, no. Like you should learn the basics because then when you learn, have that basic base, then you can just go and kind of pick and choose what framework you want, which you kind of can do when you learn framework immediately. But the problem is these ones, HTML, CSS, and JS are probably going to be the least likely to go away if they ever do. Whereas something like, I mean, jQuery is not going to die tomorrow, but let's say it, it could die in five years. It could die in a year. Like we don't know, right? So you never know with that type of stuff. So these are the base languages and these are definitely something that you should be learning right from the get-go. So my, my first tip here is going to be when brainstorming, don't shoot down bad UI ideas entirely. They're a part of the process and the design will get better. So one of the things I do when we're first... Starting is I don't exactly I'm not exactly an illustrator or I, I'm just straight up not an illustrator. But I will kind of jot down a wireframe on paper really quick. So I have like a book just literally filled with wireframes. that are all in different orders and it's just a messy book. I, I, but what the point is is that I have a lot of good, a lot of bad, a lot of mediocre ideas in there. And so I'll have ideas where, let's say, I have a website where the whole design is is hinged around the fact that there's a vertical nav bar along the left side. All of a sudden, I'll think like, oh, that's a cool idea for a nav bar but it's a horizontal one, I'll still jot down that horizontal nav bar because maybe I'll steal something from it, like the logo or the layout of the links or something like that. Or maybe that will like spawn a couple other ideas. And so you'll, it, it is like very much a part of that design process where you want to see, cause you kind of have to like see to believe UX sometimes where you're thinking like, Oh, you know, it'd be really awesome to keep that left sidebar, but now that I've drawn this horizontal one, well, the links are always there because it's a static one or wh- however you are uh, doing it. So you're like, oh, now people could constantly navigate and they don't have to always pull out that side menu. Hmm, that's interesting. Maybe I need to kind of do an evaluation and see, hey, maybe this is going to be easier for the user.
1: Yeah, and I think I think another really good point with that is like don't shoot down bad ideas in general right away. And as you said, you have like a nice a nice notebook in there and it's not organized, but it has a bunch of stuff in it. Uh, it's kind of like napkin engineering. So when you go in, when you go into like a coffee shop or something and you think of something, you write it down on a napkin, this is just kind of a theoretical approach to it. But those kinds of ideas can actually work into something more important in the future. And just because it was done hastily and just because it wasn't, doesn't have much thought through it doesn't mean it's a bad idea, especially in different contexts. So you could have an idea about something that just doesn't work, right? Like just doesn't work. But then in the future, like, you know, couple months down the line you have another project that you're working on you go back and you're like oh man this idea actually does work in this project and that can happen many many times so i think another another thing and another piggyback onto your approach is that whole notebook idea is keep a keep the bad idea design notebook in quotes uh with you throughout your journey and make sure that you can always kind of go back and reference how you've evolved as as an engineer and maybe use those older, your older thought process to benefit your newer thought, newer approach to engineering. So I think, um, it's kind of a cool, cool take on that. But with, with my second point here, I'm going to go with focus more on personal projects than on online courses. And with that, I'm talking about not ditching online courses in general or not ditching traditional education in general. I'm saying, have a, a greater focus on personal projects. I see a lot where people will kind of get too focused in on these like free, free code camp courses or like the paid ones or go to Udacity. And like, they, they're really worried about which course to pick because they, they think that if they pick the wrong course, it's going to be a waste of time. In my opinion, like there's plenty of courses. They're all rated. Like there's, they're all, they're, there's some really good courses out there. Um, But it's going to be very tough to motivate yourself unless you're that kind of learner to continue through these courses because they are kind of an educational slog because you're going through like, you know, paid like PowerPoint presentations and like a bunch of different code that you have never seen before. It's much, it's a much better approach in my opinion to have something that you want to work on, whether it be kind of like a side project that you think will generate an income at some point, or just a side project that you're interested in, like a, you know. You take the API of all the Pokemon and you want to create a, you know, a Pokemon database for yourself to use when you're out and po- like playing Pokemon Go or something, whatever. Like it could be, it could be any sort of idea that you have. And with that idea, you start to kind of. Be like, okay, so um if I want to do that, I would have to learn how to display it on a screen. So then you learn how to do HTML, CSS, and maybe have some dummy information in there. And then you're like, oh, well, I need to bring in some data. So you need to learn how to do a fetch request and interact with APIs. And that'll lead you not only to the right courses for you to take, but it'll lead you to a more uh, – st- like more desired learning, more focused learning approach where you're going to be motivated and that's the biggest part of this. Like it's really really hard to stay motivated as you're learning something, especially if you're not in that career at that certain time. If you can't devote 100% to web development, which I've I've noticed a lot of people can't, like they have their own careers, they have families to To keep, you know, to get to get money on the table, they have different careers already, and they're looking to like go into web development. It's really hard to motivate yourself by just going into courses without having a a personal project, maybe even your own personal site to work on. Um, So, really big advice on my part: find that personal project for you, and then base your online courses around that personal project. And I think you're going to learn a lot more, and you're going to kind of retain that information a lot better because you're going to be putting it into use right away.
0: And I and that kind of lends itself actually to a question that was asked in the in the Discord this week, which was like when can we start learning web development? And or when can you start making money, excuse me, from web development? And and with this and with that being said, like when you focus on those personal projects, you learn certain things. Like Mike mentioned the the Pokemon API call. Um you could learn other other things as well, like maybe you want to just learn how to make a light box because you want to display your own photos, that type of thing. And What I was suggesting in the Discord was, and I'm paraphrasing everything here, but what I was suggesting is like you kind of go into, if you're looking to go into freelancing, go into a freelancer website of some sort and take a look at the jobs there and you will actually if you've done these personal projects be able to match things up like maybe it won't be pokemon but maybe those some sort of flower database for a greenhouse and so you're like oh wait you know it's not pokemon but i could definitely pull the names and the photos of the of those flowers because the api so you'll you kind of like check those things off and you'll actually as you learn more and more and more and more skills and read more and more freelancer you know requests essentially from people who want to pay you or want to Pay a freelancer, you'll actually learn first of all what to learn, and you'll actually also see a, a payoff there because you're like, hey, I did this personal project, but now it could actually lead to a paid project or more than one paid project. And so it's kind of a big motivator for you in that way as well. So my second uh my second tip is going to be uh, don't be afraid to iterate your first design will be worse than your future ones. So one of the things that I always seem to do when I put together a UI is I'm not like the best designer out there. I haven't been like conventionally trained in designing that type of thing. However, I do pay a, a good amount of attention to uh, UIs and UX of other products. So that's why I'm kind of like the UI UX guy. And so one of the things that will happen to me is I'll put together a site and if it's hastily done and, or like if it's hastily done and it needs to be hastily done for the customer, oftentimes we've even gotten feedback where it's like, this looks kind of rushed. And that's because... That's the first iteration. That's the really quick bang, you know, here it is out. When a customer gives you that long-term sort of, that long-term sort of, uh you know, time to iterate, you will actually come up with a better and better and better design. So there'll be times where I'll put together everything kind of hastily and then I'll say like, okay, everything works now. I got a nav bar, I got my content, I got my photos working, my light boxes, my slideshows, whatever I have, I have all of these working now. But now that they're working, I need to need it to be actually functional. I need it to be more or more than functional. I need it to look nice. And so I can actually spend like an entire afternoon just sort of tuning that nav bar. And that's what's missed in haste in hasty, hastily done projects. So don't be afraid to iterate after you sort of get your function done or if you're just trying to get into design and you just want to kind of sketch up the stuff. Just keep, just remember, like, you, your first ideas or your first group of ideas when you when you throw together your wireframe or when you throw together your prototype will be worse than future iterations. Sure, you might have a bad iteration in the, you know, in the future where you're like, I'm going to radically change this and change, change how links work or something crazy and it doesn't end up working out. But now you know, hey, that's bad. I'm not going to do that again. But now I know that people do this with the links. And so you could maybe, your next iteration might be even better than that. So, I'm I'm not sure uh, how much Mike has seen my process in terms of like Webflow, but Webflow is a prime example of this where I will have like a really kind of, it it looks hastily done. Like it looks like a first draft. There's weird like colors and stuff. Cause I'm just trying to see where divs end and it's like all over the place. But then slowly as I go through, I'll be renaming the classes to nice things and I'll be going through and moving the stuff around and, you know, checking the responsivity more than it is and slowly, but surely it gets better and better and better. So, with that being said, just a little tack onto this is, if your customer is willing to give you extra time, and you're doing a you know a fair bit of designing, design work, UI, UX, in my case, take that extra time and just make it better because the customer will notice. Like, hey, this looks this looks like it's very very quickly done.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with that, and it's a big it's actually a big thing in web development and web design to iterate. So iteration is, is used many, many, in many, many things and even in deployment and development in larger teams, right? A lot of the time, uh, I, I believe it's the Scrum method where you kind of get your first MVP out as quickly as possible. And then you iterate on top of that because the value of the user input when you have something out there is extremely important and extremely useful. Because if you get something out there, let's say you spend you know 2 months doing something and it's a cr- like a crazy amount of time for you to to kind of get it done and uh you you've put all of your effort into it it looks really polished really well really well thought out and you put it out there and people hate it right away well that's going to be kind of that's almost waste of time because now you have to go back and change a bunch of things that you've polished already. Whereas if you kind of go through a project and you get something out there that's working and it looks decent, but you know, you know, it's flaws, you know, that it has limitations and stuff like that, but you get it out there for customers to start using in an alpha or something like that, uh, or even an internal use program, like so that people can start at least testing and giving you feedback. And they tell you that advice after two weeks, instead of two months, you can go a different direction right away. So the iteration process, don't be afraid to iterate is really important. And don't be afraid to like get something out there as faster rather than slower is also an important thing. Don't go crazy with it. Like you don't, don't cut corners on everything that you see, but get like, don't go for perfection is what I'm saying. Try to, try to build on your, on the things that you're making instead of making the perfect, you know, Mona Lisa from the very start. So that was a good point, Matt. Uh, my third thing, my third point here is work on your social skills. So with that, when when you're first starting out, a big portion of how you're going to get clients is going to be networking it's going to be it going to you know uh meetups it's going going to conventions stuff like that it's going to be it's going to be interacting with other people whether that be online some people like prefer it on preferred online through email whether that be you know going going to actually physical meetings and sitting there and talking to your neighbors and you know giving out business cards talking to people it's going to work differently for everyone because everyone has uh, is different on the spectrum of like do they want to go like how much time they could spend with people, how much time uh, they – how they like interact with other people in a large audiences and stuff like that. But try to push yourself as much as you possibly can and this is something that we didn't do a lot of, Matt, I think. But I think when we did do it, it did kind of pay off, not only in the ways of getting connections maybe but in the ways of just making us better presenters and better like understanding the industry a little more because a big thing that you do when you're a a solo developer as well is you kind of get into this trap of like, well, I don't know anything about development. I don't know what the industry is like. Everyone knows way more than me. Again, that imposter syndrome that we like to talk about sinks in. You got to get out of that. And to get out of that, you got to talk to other people. So again, I'm not plugging the web development community, like the the discord, but that's not a bad place to start. That's not a bad place to go in. Like join a discord community, a web development discord community. We have one. There's plenty of other ones out there that you can join as well and start talking to people, present like show, put your profile on there. People will give feedback and you'll kind of get a sense to where you are and where you need to be, because there's going to be a lot of different like stages of people for people that are just starting out that don't know what HTML, CSS and JS are. Maybe they're just, you know, they're just looking into the industry. They don't even know what, programming is in general and then there's going to be the people that are just starting out where they're going to be like in a in a in a stage where they're actually coding stuff and then there's you know people on top of that etc etc and you're never going to know that unless you actually start you know putting yourself out there and going to social events joining social activities joining groups like if it's online like i said everyone's different but if if I were if it were me like I would probably try to go to a couple meetups because it's always nice to get that person person to person communication it's going to help you uh in the future as well because when you have to quote when you have to talk to customers it's going to usually be uh they're going to prefer a call or they're going to prefer an in-person meeting and you you want to develop those skills as early as possible.
0: And that's that's a really good that's a really good point because that that's actually I mean it's kind of come up more recently um as well excuse me <clears throat> it's kind of come more recently as well is because or er, one thing I want to mention about this what am I trying to say here w- one thing I wanted to mention about this topic that has come up recently as well jesus get your <laughs> get your thesaurus out for that one um has been that I used to do like a fair bit of meetings and a fair bit of talking to people and that type of thing. And then I kinda went back into like the shadow realm to make it dirty and like I kind of haven't really talked to many customers, you know, saving a few phone calls here and there, of course. But then more recently I've started to run uh some meetings. And the reason why I mentioned this is because I used to have like really, really, really great meeting skills and like meeting skills are fine. Like I'm not like telling the customer off or anything and like we're getting the point across. But I will say that I am rusty at it. And so it's one of those things where it's like if you spend this time investing and actually get your get your skills up, they will like just like anything else, you will go out of practice and you will lose that. So one one um one thing, for example, is really weird, but one thing I do, for example, before I do the podcast is I actually just like talk to myself about stuff that I'm reading and stuff like that. So I kinda like get I'll like correct myself where I'm do using too many ums and too many likes and that type of thing. I try to constantly correct myself when I'm talking to myself. Now that's might sound crazy, but that's one way to do it. For if you're trying to do, if you're trying to use that type of social skill, when it comes to meetings, like Mike said, you have to go to meetups, that type of thing. You have to exercise those skills because you will they will go out of practice, and you will lose those skills, or at least become rusty at them over time. So my third skill here uh, that I'm going to, or my my third tip, sorry, is going to be: uh, don't worry about designing mobile first or desktop first. Just plan your responsivity. And one of these, and this is this point right here is going to probably get me some flack because people are going to say you should be designing mobile first, or, you know, it was years ago that we designed desktop first and blah, 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 blah. Well, in my opinion, the reason why it went from desktop first and was because we were on desktops. And then it moved, you know, a few years ago to mobile first because. But 50-50 web traffic, or even more these days, is on mobile. And so people are like, well, you should be designing a mobile first. But the reason why, and I think, and this is my opinion, is because on older mobile sites, you used to get a limited feature set. Sometimes I'd go in there and be like, well, can I do that from the mobile site? So... Like, or, or can I do that on the mobile site? I can do it on the desktop. What's the thing? Because they're cutting stuff out. And I think that was because it was an afterthought. In my opinion, people stress out too much on the fact that there is, that you're trying to do mobile first for desktop and they're worrying about scaling. So I see sometimes people will, I mean, I, I say panic, but it's not like, you know, a full out, like everyone's freaking out, but it's, it's like, they're, they're worried like, oh my God, like, how am I supposed to make these little blocks in my photo gallery, you know, expand and look nice on a desktop, like I don't know what to do. If you're more comfortable with designing the desktop version first, in my opinion, you do that first. If you like doing mobile first, and that's the way you're trained, go ahead. If you want to do tablet first, or you want to just start sketching out something that is sort of not, like it it doesn't matter what the size is, and you just start sketching something out, and then you figure out how it's going to be responsive, and what screen sizes those divs are going to go in, and what size they are, and that type of thing, and rate like uh, uh, pixel ratios, and the whole bit, You want to figure all that stuff out later? Fine. In my opinion, as long as both the sites are functional and you've planned out your responsivity such that you're able to say, okay, on the small screen, we need to ensure that stuff isn't cut off. We need to ensure that all the settings are there. We need to ensure all the pages are there. We need to ensure that anything that someone would want to do on a phone is there and any functionality that should be cut from a phone should be cut. And the same goes to desktop. Maybe there's stuff on a phone that you won't want to do on a desktop and then cut that. Don't, I, in my opinion, I wouldn't stress out about doing, oh, I need to, I need to, because it's industry standard, plan for mobile first. No, no one's going to know at the end of the day, whether you plan for mobile first, as long as you planned out your responsivity and ensured like, hey, when I make my desktop site, I need to ensure that it's good for a mouse. It's, oh, you know, it's okay for a touchscreen, blah, 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 you know, all your basic stuff. And then when it's on a phone, I need to make sure it's functional. I can see everything. It's not too small. It's not too big. And it's not being cut off because the screen is smaller now. So that's, I know I'm going to catch some flack for that, but that's my opinion because I've had that question uh, posed to me in the Discord. I can think like, a couple of times now, um, or maybe it's just from regular people. I can't remember, but I know that's been asked for me, and I always say like, I don't worry about my mobile first because I know it's just going to be fully featured. And so when I use it on a phone, if I hate it, I'm just going to fix it. I'm not going to be like, man, now that I've changed it on a phone, I have to change my desktop layout. It ain't gonna happen
1: yeah I, and I, I agree with you there a lot I think a lot of people get caught up on deciding which one to do first, and like they start looking at statistics of like how many people use phones and how many It's a really tough thing to like quantify in my opinion. I think it's one of those things that you just have to do what you're comfortable with, and like Matt said, as long as you make both of them fully accessible and fully functional, then there's no worry if you If you've always designed uh, something desktop first. And then you've done the responsivity based on that, then that's like, there's nothing wrong with you going that, keep going that way. So I completely agree with you, Matt. If you've done the opposite way, maybe you, you're like someone that's come up with the mobile trend and you've only designed mobile apps first and then done responsivity for large, large, side uh, screens. That's okay too. As long as it works, as long as everything's accessible on both. Like everyone's different for, for me personally, I personally like to do a lot of the major, Uh, like stuff like ordering something online or filling out a form. I like to do it on the computer. I like to use a keyboard. I like to use a mouse. That's what I like to do. I know I'm not, I know a lot of people will do that completely fine on the phone. And I sometimes order stuff on the phone as well. But most of the time, if I have access to it, I'll do it on the desktop, big screen. Uh, the thing that I, the thing that I like to do is go from mobile and then kind of take a look, make sure that it's not janky. That's my biggest thing. So if I'm on, if I'm doing desktop first and I go to mobile, and it's janky in any way and it makes me not want to use that site and just turn it off, then I then it's kind of an issue for me. But that's different. Like that's just re- responsivity in general. So I agree with you there for sure, Matt. Uh, the next thing I kind of want to point out uh, is learn Git slash version control right from the beginning, and this is my fourth tip. So the big thing here is that Matt and I we didn't do this and this is like one of those things where we learn from our mistakes. Uh it's not a huge thing, it's not a huge mistake I don't think, but it would have it kind of did hinder us a little bit during the process of first starting out. So we had an issue with, uh, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, we had an issue with One Cloud, OneDrive syncing issues where we were both working on the same file at the same time. It created the same file a bunch of times and we didn't know what was going on. Uh, that's just the nature of OneDrive. That's the nature of cloud storage. And that's completely fine. That's how cloud storage should work. Uh, What we should have done is we should have right away as we were started learning web development, just kind of thrown Git on, at least learn the basics of Git as we were learning the basics of HTML, CSS, JS websites, because having it being the same second nature is a huge advantage. For many, many different reasons. One, for obviously backup and version control. Version control is a very, very important pro- process for any sort of programming in general because it allows you to go back to a version that A could have been working for you. It allows you to compare code. So like, let's say, let's say right now you do, you, you write something like a feature, like a camera plugin and then it, it works just fine. Everything works and you plug it into your application. Everything works fine. In, in like three weeks, a random user finds a, a random issue with the, with the, uh, maybe not the camera plugin, but with something else in the application. You go back and you look at when you added that camera plugin and you see that, Oh, I added this. And you look at the feature that the the person's talking about. Oh, these two things conflict you can do that with version control because you can go back to your version without the camera plugin and see how it worked before that. So it's a huge, huge advantage of version control. And I think it's important to kind of understand it from the basics, maybe not like fully delve into all the different merge tactics and stuff like that, but at least understand how to do the basic commit push pull method. Um, and, uh, and kind of go from there, just, just a good little bit of structure, another another base skill, in my opinion, kind of like my first point was we'll start with the basics. I feel like this kind of should be grouped in with the basics at this point.
0: Yeah and, and and that's very true too because like we were trying to make our own version control with OneDrive as we've stated on the show a few times now. And so like clearly version control was needed. We have we have like some old websites that are still on that sort of older version control and it's just a bit of a mess there now. Um like I mean it's easy enough to use but it's still like why are we inventing our own file structure to do version control when we're supposed to be using a, an industry standard essentially. And I know we will talk about us not using an industry standard for some some skills and some programs but at the end of the day it's like we sometimes you do need to sometimes you do need to jump on that bandwagon and say okay i need version control what am i doing here like why am i why am i resisting this and this is definitely one of those cases that we definitely should have done right from the get-go um, and it's definitely really useful and on top of that it actually lends itself to talking about when you were talking about mike about the social skills and that because some people will say oh, i want to go and i want to submit I want to submit uh, like a change to like an open source repo. And so they're not getting like the face-to-face social aspect, but they're kind of getting the like the e-meeting people where they're figuring out how to, you know, push thing, push or add like PR requests and how to figure out how to like dive into an application that a bunch of people have made. And and so they're kind of getting that that social and like a, a, a bit of the social with the version control, but it's also a fair bit of experience with the coding as well. So it's kind of a it's kind of a, a do-all other than the meet in person. So it's kind of something that Maybe you keep in mind for the for uh, if you're looking to get into Git. So my fourth uh, tip now is going to be try out different programs. So that includes IDEs, um, which are the development environments like VS Code and that type of thing, uh, as well as different wireframing software, etc. So a bunch of people will try to choose something based on the price, which I mean is fair. If you're on a budget, that's fine. However, sometimes you need to take a look at the different features. and You need to say, okay, I've been using X program. It's a real pain. I don't like how it doesn't do this. And this other program does do this. It's going to save me some time. It's a little bit more money for this other one. The heck with it. I'm doing the other one. Um, there's a bunch of free trials out there. Sometimes there's like a free tier. So like do not be afraid to try out different programs. A prime example would be we went from uh, Asana to, well, we still use Asana, but we went from Asana to I didn't really use it too much. And so I started using Trello. And I use Trello a lot now, almost daily. However, with with that being said, I still use Asana now because I use Asana for just our straight up task management. And then I use Trello for sort of keeping information together and I don't really like it for task management. And I would never have figured that out if I wasn't If I wasn't willing to try out different programs, because a lot of people do use Trello for their task management. And it would be one of those things where, where, I would be like, no, no, I can't try Trello. Like, some people would do that, right? I can't try Trello because I'm on Asana. And really, you should be kind of open to trying out different things. Because if you are also, on, as an aside, if you're a UI UX developer, you should be trying out these other programs. Because any program you use should give you some ideas on where you should put buttons and how you should use things and how things are laid out. And like I said, I like the UX for, on Trello for kind of storing my data and keeping some stuff Keep keeping uh, tabs on where everything is in a project. Whereas I prefer Asana just to literally track my day to day, like, Oh, I have to call this guy to do this thing to his, whatever his website, his nav bar. Maybe I just need to quote him something, whatever. And so that's, that's sort of where I'm at there. Um, same with IDEs as well, just to bring it into that. So for visual studio, code, I was really against that for a while. Um, but I went into it and I do enjoy it. Uh, I was using notepad plus plus for a long time. And on top of that, uh, I, I think you were using, Mike brackets for a long time, and you tried to get me into that. And I tried it for a bit, and I was just like, okay, I'm out of here. I don't want to use this, so I'm just going back to Notepad++. But uh, lately, it's been VS Code for me. Um, and actually, even more lately, it's been mostly just business programs for me. But um, business and, like, wireframing and prototyping programs for me. But, again, I wouldn't have known about VS Code, or I wouldn't have cared about it if I hadn't have tried it. So it's one of those things where you really should try it, and I was one of the people that did not want to do it, and I did, and I... I now know I now think of it as a vital not a vital skill but something you should be doing is definitely try new things out uh to see if you like them.
1: Yeah, and I I mean I'm all for that I, obviously. I've I've always been trying to get Matt to try all all the different programs. But I think what one one good thing that comes out of that is like Matt like Matt said with brackets like he tried brackets, he was willing to do that and then he didn't like it. And I think it's important to note that say no to some stuff as well. So don't say no without maybe researching it a little bit, but as soon as you see it, like maybe you're not, maybe you're a JetBrains person or maybe you use a different IDE and you've really liked it for many years and you've heard everyone talk about VS Code and how awesome it is. And you go and try it and you just see, it's, see the problems with it right away. Don't be afraid to be like, okay, well, I'm going to still use my original IDE even though everyone's using this one because of A, B, and C. You know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those things that are like, Sometimes people get caught into the wave too much. So if you know VS Code is super popular, you have to use VS Code. Or if uh, brackets is super popular, you have to use brackets. Trello, stuff like that. Um, it it's also it's important to to kind of know your own preferences and say no sometimes as well. So try say no. Try get get your perfect workflow for you because everyone is different. Um, with that, I'm going to do my last tip here, uh, and it's kind of a catch-all. It's a don't be afraid to fail. And this is a big one uh, in my eyes and it's kind of how I've tried to adapt my life a little bit. Uh, I know before like let's say high school time for me, uh, which was quite a while ago, I kind of – I really didn't want to get bad marks. I really didn't want to do that. So I kind of gave the amount of effort that I could give to get normal everything. I was just average. I didn't want to do too much and then fail because that would seem like I'm an idiot, right? But I think that that's a terrible way to look at it. I think it's important to know that put as much effort as you can into something. If you fail, that's not nothing bad. There's nothing bad with failing. The, the stigma around failing should be kind of taken away as much as possible. Obviously, it still sucks. You've invested time, something didn't go your way. But take as much as you can out of that experience and then do it again and then fail again and then do it again and then fail again. Like We don't know when we're going to succeed. We don't know what's going to succeed. And the different levels of success and failure are, are also like, infinite essentially like our podcast is doing what we think is great right like matt and i are enjoying it we're building a great developer community everything's awesome for some other people this might be a failure i don't know but it's it's one of those things that like if you don't do it and if you don't put as much effort as you can at that turn time into it then you like and you don't know what it could have been and you don't know what it could be so it's important to it's important to not be afraid to fail it's like Don't, don't go out there and try to fail. Don't go out there and start a project like a social, don't go out there and start a social networking application with one, like with half a year of experience into program, into the web development and think that it's going to succeed. I wouldn't recommend that. Right. But if you're going out there as a, as a way of learning how the social networking platform works, that's a different thing. Right. Like if you're going out there and it's your side project to learn how, how, you know, community, like, Sockets works. How you know real time chat works. How people how user management works. That's a totally different thing. You're not going out there to try to make a billion dollars uh, the, in the first year of your career. Like that. That's not the right right way to look at things. And then it's also right not the right way to skew your failure. Right? Because if you're going if you're if your head mindset is like I need to earn a billion dollars or a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars in the first month of my web development experience, then you're setting yourself up for not. It's not maintainable failure. It's one of those things where you're going to go out there. You're going to learn that the cost for, for getting users is extremely high and extremely difficult. Uh, it could apply to any other project as well. And you're going to burn out quickly and you're going to be like, well, screw this. I'm never going to do this again because I just, you know, invested so much of my time into it and I've, the, the stakes were so high. I needed that $100,000. Otherwise, I guess I'm bank- bankrupt and that's it. So try to manage yourself where you're getting something out of everything that you're doing and don't be afraid to like go into something with a potential chance of it failing. There's nothing wrong with that. And th- I, I think that's a it's a big point in not only web development, but I think most other careers out there uh, to kind of pr- push yourself to be a better person and a better uh, skilled individual, I guess, in, in your career path.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, and I'm going to say something controversial. Um, so Everyone get your, your pitchforks, uh, in hand and at the ready. So, um, Donald Trump said it best. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Everyone calm oh. down. Everyone, everyone calm down. Uh, that, that's a joke. That's a joke. Everyone calm down, but still have the pitchfork in your hand because you might disagree with me here. So I think that one of the big things, and I think we may have mentioned it on the show before, is that <clears throat> Mike was mentioning, uh, courses. And then, like, obviously we went to a traditional school. And I would actually say that traditional schools train us to hate failure. And they do that because when can you fail there without being held back a year or when can you fail there without losing money if you're paying tuition for like a post-secondary sort of program? When can you fail there without having a consequence in a learning environment? And I think that that's one of the things, like I know you mentioned high school. That's a prime example where it's like, well, you're still losing all these marks. It's like, well, now my overall grade's going down because I failed at this. And people might be like, well then just don't screw up. It's like, well, okay, thank you for that. But like I didn't know what was going on. It was my first time doing it or whatever. So I don't know, it I a hundred percent agree with you, and this is sort of why I think you and I always seem to suggest like just try your own excuse me, try your own project. Uh do your own do your own thing. Um Try to teach yourself how to do it. Get mad at yourself when you make a mistake on your own project and use that, you know, anger or, you know, discontent to say the heck with this. I have to figure out how to fix this. This database is all screwed up and I'm never doing a database like this again, you know, whatever your situation is. I think that and I don't know whether you agree with this, Mike, but I think that in, in terms of schools, if you if you like screw up, a, if you screw up like your homework, sometimes your homework is marked and it's like, well, it was the first time I was doing it like last night. And now my homework got marked and I'm screwed. And I understand that people are like, well, boohoo, you know, your homework got screwed over. But, but what it does is it, it creates, it creates a culture of people of being afraid to screw things up. In my opinion, it creates a culture of people being like, oh my God, if I don't understand this right now, like the, it, it creates that freezing culture, you know, like people will like freeze it like, and, and like start to panic. It'll it's, It creates that culture because they're afraid to mess it up. Like a a good example is we were given a bunch of electrical components for our like lab classes and sometimes we'd be given one of it. So it's like well use it use it perfectly and use it perfectly at all times. If you don't if you don't you're going to break it and then you're going to have to possibly wait a heck of a long time or order it yourself uh to get a replacement. And in the rare case that you know let's say the school can't provide you with another one, you might just be screwed and you may have to order another one and wait like a significant amount of time in the shipping. You know what I mean? Now like, they were lenient and stuff like that. Like, they did provide parts and that type of thing. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, like, talk down the school for that type of thing. But what I'm saying is, is that I don't know where the middle ground is in that. Where, where, where is the line? It's like, the school doesn't want to provide you with eight of this electrical component, so you can mess up seven times and then get it right the eighth time. But at the same time, have providing you with one is, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's not like super, super stressful. And when I say electrical components, these are like 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 cent chips that we were using, like little ICs, integrated circuits. But it's still like a thing where it's like, great, now I'm screwed for this class now. Like the class you're in, I guess I'm screwed now. And what if it was like a big one? Like, what if it's like the the formal the formal lab, as they used to call it? And now you're kind of screwed. So I don't know. Maybe it's one of the, maybe I'm against that whole thing where it's just like, we'll do better. Well, thank you for that. That really helped me out. But that's my two cents on there. Um, and so to go back to my, uh, tips, which are going to be a little bit happier than that, is going to be, uh, a browse around for UI, UX slash design ideas from existing sites, even in different markets than yours. And so what I mean by that is if you're using, if you're doing a tech blog and you are really stumped, like you're trying to lay out the UI, the UX, and you're trying to figure out what the heck's going on, don't be afraid to look at other people because I know that some people are afraid of, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, just, I'm dying today. <laughs> um, I know that some people are are really afraid of ripping people off, but you can really tell when someone's ripped somebody else off. Like today I was actually, I saw on Twitter, somebody was like, some guy just ripped off my site. And I was like, oh, oh yeah, here we go. It's going to be like his sliders slightly the same. No, 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 no. His animations, everything except for the color scheme was identical. Typography, layout, the way it was responsive, everything. It was like a total blatant ripoff. And so I thought to myself when I saw that, like, wow, like, it's really obvious to tell when you rip somebody off. But if you use somebody's design concepts, you know, within reason as an inspiration only, you can really kind of break through some of those technical blocks. It's almost like a writer's blocking break through some of those design blocks and kind of just rip through it. And you'd be like, wow, I didn't realize that a, like a vertical nav bar is could be that laid out this way, I'm going to do something similar. So I can fit more information in there or something like that. And when I say, even if it's in different markets. If you're doing a tech blog, don't just look at tech blogs. You might want to look at other things. I don't know, grocery store websites, flyers, websites, anything. And and just get a big group of ideas together when you're sketching it out or when you're doing it on the computer, when you're doing your wireframes and just like figure out a layout that works for you. And don't be afraid to pull inspiration from those other points.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I like that idea and I personally use it all the time. If I'm... I'm not an idea person. Like, I don't, I'm not super creative. I don't have like a, an amazing idea for a website that looks, you know, incredible and has the perfect UX. So I rely on exactly what Matt's saying. I, I rely on going to very popular sites and seeing how they approach UX, how they approach UI, what they do. Now, I don't go, like Matt said, I don't go and copy and paste ever, anything. I go and I apply those, that knowledge to a similar project, to a similar use case. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Sometimes I'll tweak it a little bit more, like it'll be completely different, but I'll use the inspiration that they gave me to, to kind of go from there. That's, that's how I do design work, especially and, and, uh, any sort of UX. I very much rely on kind of standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, and using their knowledge and applying it as much as I can. I, again, we've talked about this a few times, um, with knowledge that you don't have. Sometimes outsourcing is a great idea as well. So like, If you're, if you have a larger company and you have a larger project, if you're not the greatest UX UI designer, it might be a better idea to go and hire someone that's better at it than you. And you do the stuff that you're good at, like setting up the servers and setting up the, you know, the business logic on the front end and tie it into the business logic on the back end. That, that's also kind of a a little bit of advice there too, but it's not, maybe not for the beginner web developers. But it kind of ties into like stand on the people that know better than you, and no one, no one to say I don't know as well.
0: Yeah, that, that's a really good. That's a really good kind of capstone to that. I think to the to all, all ten tips is, is when it comes to the UI UX and even the actual coding itself. If you. Don't be afraid to look for a mentor, even if they're not a mentor in terms of like they talk to you and that type of thing, but look toward the guy who is doing better than you. Maybe he's in an open source project who's, who you know, ha- doing better than you because he has more experience. Don't be afraid to, t- you know, pull ideas from them, take ideas from them and say, I-, I don't know how to do this. I need to help. I need help with this. I need to look this up, blah, 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 blah. Kind of know your place like that. I know that kind of that that has a <laughs> negative connotation, but like yourself, like don't don't be put in your place by somebody else, but put yourself in place. You say, I am at this stage, I know this much about databases. I'm at this stage, I know this much about UI. And so I know I need help with this, I need to improve with this, I need to do this to get better. And that's kind of where you should put yourself in your own place and know when you need help. So with that being said, we got a, uh, a web news here, so I'm going to go read through that, our recurring segment, and uh, we'll... Have, I'm sure an interesting conversation. So it's about smartphones again this time, and uh, it's entitled Brand New Flagship Phones. Hopefully my throat gets through this. Now, purchasing a brand new flagship phone is rather expensive. So expensive now that in most cases, the carrier's quote-unquote loan program does does not cover the majority of the price. Lower tier phones are getting better in terms, in, in terms of everyday use as phones overall plateau in performance and excitement from the market. Some people always feel, however, that they need to purchase the flagship phone, even if it's not the newest, due to it being more premium. So, here's my questions. Would you buy a flagship phone brand new, or would you buy it later in its life, or at all, for that matter? Should you purchase the most expensive phone on a series, so for example, the recently announced Note 10, Samsung Galaxy Note 10, or should you always purchase that older one, so that previous generation, so you'd get the Note 9 in this case? Or, or another question, rather, if you purchase an older or cheaper phone, is the turnaround for you more often? So, for example, if you purchase a cheap phone once a year, uh, or you would be purchasing a cheap phone once a year versus, let's say, you buy a real expensive phone and you keep it for two, three, four, whatever
1: years. So, Mike, take it away. Yeah, it's a good, like, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, one thing that I want to point out real quick is that, uh, these loan programs and stuff like that, that's more of a Canadian thing than a U.S. market thing. And I know a lot of our audience is in U.S. and Europe and all that. And you guys have great, uh, subsidy services where you can sign up for a fairly relatively inexpensive plan and still get, you know, as long as you sign a three-year contract, still still get a really good price on even like a high-end flagship phone. But I think those prices are still going up regardless. So I think it's still, the, the argument still works because phones now are, instead of being, you know, three, four years ago, they were about 700 to $800 in the high range. They're now anywhere between 1000 to $2,000 in the high range, which is like a huge increase. So I, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, everyone, uh, that your subsidies are going, like, you have to pay more upfront for those massive, max, flagship phones, like the, uh, iPhone XX Max and, like, the Galaxy Note 10 and the Pixel 3 and stuff. Um, I'm assuming that those prices have gone up for you as well. Maybe not as much as for us personally, because, like, like I said before, we were, we were, I was used to paying like $300 for a phone, uh, with a subsidy. And now we're at the point where we're, we're paying over $1,000 for a phone with a subsidy and then paying also like around $100 a month uh, or even more. Um, so like it's it's gone to a crazy level and that's why I kind of Matt's brought it up at this point. Uh, okay. So with that being said
0: – I have some prices here as well um, just so we can reference them as well. Yeah. I, I yeah, pulled up a fire, couple. Fire
1: those off before I go into it.
0: Okay. So um, I'm, these are Canadian prices pulled from Canadian carriers and I'm reading the site verbatim. Is that the right word? Verbatim?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah.
0: I, 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 just, I don't think I've ever one, actually one, said mean, that. It means
1: you're reading it one-to-one.
0: Okay, I've never actually said that. That was crazy. I've, it just like rolled off the tongue. Anyway, uh, moving on. Working on my meeting skills. Um, <laughs> uh, so Samsung Galaxy Note 10 Plus from uh, Rogers. This is the 256 gigabyte model, and it's also the Aura Glow Color. This is a pre-order. It is $0 down, okay? And the monthly device cost is $60.83 per month for 24 months. And then it says taxes up front with edge financing and 0% APR. Full price is $1,460. So that's-,
1: that's actually... It's surprisingly better than I thought it was. But what's the what's the plan? What's the minimum plan you can get? Like a reasonable plan you can get with that phone? That's my question. F- find that out. Um, while you're doing that though, I'm going to tell you if I would buy a new flagship phone right now? And my answer to that is no. (laughs) Um, For me personally, I do value my phone a lot. I use it quite a bit and I understand it's a very important part of my even my business day-to-day life. But the fact that there's so many good like mid mid slash high rangers, high high high-range phones out there, like the OnePlus 7T Pro, like the Asus 6Z, uh, like like some Xiaomi phones, like there's some really nice Xiaomi phones that have very good specs for the price and have great screens now and stuff like like have very good everything. They're all around great phones that are in the realm of around uh, anywhere between $600 Canadian to about $800 Canadian in that range, and that's without a contract, without anything. So that means what that means is that right now Matt's gonna find a price for the contract. I can. My my current contract is in the $50 range for about six gigabytes of data. That's a decent contract in Canada. Uh, As far as I know, like I've called around a lot. That's a really good contract. I can't get that if I were to buy a new phone and I would to subsize it. So I would have to pay a full price for that phone to pay that $50 a month. I would have to pay the $1,400, like Matt was saying, plus the tax to be able to use the contract that I currently have. So that's why I wouldn't purchase a brand new phone right now. Uh, because I just I can't justify paying that much when there's good there's good alternatives available. Now Matt's making some crazy faces right now, so I want to hear the, I'm, the pricing am, on, this, on these contracts. I am shocked.
0: I'm shocked at the moment. Okay, so yeah. now we have to remember here that this is a this is a plan in which a Galaxy Note 10 Plus. Okay, to be clear. Okay, yeah, Galaxy I understand So this is okay. So there's different types of plans. I'm not going to go through every type, but there's basically yeah. this thing. I, I don't. I'm not with Rogers. So anyway, there's different types of plans, and there's there's Edge. They're, they're called Edge. So there's Edge financing, which is the one we have. Which is the one we have chosen. Then there's Edge 40 tab, Edge 30 tab, Edge 20 tab, and the no tab. So for example, I'm just going to quickly. I'm not going to read everything out. So if I quickly switch it from Edge financing, which is what we're on, to Edge 40 tab. Now the phone is no longer $0. It's now $490. And the plans start at $115 a month. Oh my God. Which is now, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. These are infinite plans. These are Roger's infinite plans. Now there's a bunch of options here. We haven't flipped them all through, flipped through them all. Again, please do your own research. But just, just having clicked literally edge 40 tab, I'm seeing without touching anything else. Four hundred ninety dollars on a two-year term. 490 dollars on a two-year term. This includes unlimited Canada-wide calling, includes unlimited text, and it also includes unlimited shared data. There are three plans below that, and they start at they are excuse me ten gigabytes, twenty gigabytes, and fifty. The ten gigabytes is obviously the cheapest. That is one hundred fifteen dollars per month. All shared plans also get roam like home. So one hundred fifteen or one hundred fifty? One hundred and fifteen. 115. 115 yes okay, 115 so, okay. Canadian.
1: so then that plan 115 which which, for which 10 gigs. that
0: 490 needs to be paid up front as far as i understand it
1: yeah it has to be paid up front yeah okay so okay what about the what about the most expensive one with a zero dollar
0: okay down? so let's say let's say zero dollars so now we're back on edge financing to be clear so we have zero dollars down at a full price of 1460 dollars We have selected the edge financing, which is $0 down payment and 0% APR, which is $60.83 per month for 24 months. All Rogers Infinite plans include unlimited. Now, hang on a minute here. There's, there's two options here. So I have selected under the talk. I have, I have selected unlimited Canada wide calling under text. It says unlimited. And under data, it says unlimited shared data. There's three plans for me to choose from again, 10, 20, and 50. The 10 gigabyte plan is $75 a month. Now, you might think, oh, that's really great. However, we got to remember here that we're doing a flex finance of $60.83. Yeah. So, and again, all shared plans get Rome Like Home. So, I just want to make sure everyone is, everyone knows what we're reading here because I don't want to... So, so essentially, you're
1: paying 100 and what, like 60 175 plus 68 Yeah. So, that's what I'm doing. So, 70... Oh, and I just almost hung up the call on you for pressing the wrong button and it still doesn't work. Okay. So I think around $150 with all the taxes. It'll be around $160 a month with all the taxes. So, typed in, typed in as it's shown on the website, um, yeah.
0: whether or not there's... There's taxes and stuff like that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, there, are, there
1: is on top. Okay, of Okay, on one second. Let me it, let me I'm...
0: actually select the 10 gigabyte plan here. Let me do, let's just do this live. Yeah. I clicked it and nothing happened. Okay, there we go. So it says uh, it's seventy five dollars, and it says that it's one hundred and thirty five dollars and eighty three cents a month.
1: Okay. Is and that with that's with the subsidy. That's what the monthly cost. That's what the monthly cost,
0: not including taxes. It says plus okay. applicable taxes on both the phone. And the, and the line fee. So, sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: Whatever the heck that is. Okay. But anyway, so, that's, so that's, that's interesting. That's, that's an interesting. And you I gotta don't... remember, this
0: is, this is our, this is our new, and I know Americans probably have, probably are like, well, why don't you just have limited data? Yeah. Well, we don't do that here in Canada. We charge, uh, for every single thing we do, and our currency is worth less. So remember, CAD stands for Clown Association dollars. That's a joke. <laughs> it's actually Canadian dollars. Let's calm down, but Clown Association dollars. Now,
1: that's that. Now, so, if, yeah, that's that. Now,
0: do you mm-hmm. want me to read from a? Uh, this is a. So in Canada, we have large companies like Rogers. Those are the big boys, and the big boys own smaller guys, and those smaller guys are generally cheaper. I have Kudo pricing right here, right in front of me.
1: I, I mean, yeah, you can you can do that if you want. Sure.
0: Okay. So, so Kudo is it? Kudo is on various tabs. So a tab is like a loan you get, and so it's like you know you you get this you get this loan. Depending on how much loan you get, you have to choose pr- you have to choose plans within a certain range, okay? And then you also pay per month. So I'll give an example. So for example, there's a tab here. It's the biggest tab they have that's listed here, and this is a pre order of the Samsung Galaxy Note 10 Plus. You get free Galaxy Buds, which I don't know whether the Rogers one comes with it. It probably does, but I haven't didn't see that. I think it that. does, yeah. I didn't see that, but anyway, it doesn't matter. It probably does, but this one comes with with free Galaxy Buds. It is on the. It is the Aura Black color, and it is $500 up front, okay, with $40 a month being charged for 24 months, and you have to choose a plan that costs at least $75 a month. Yeah. That is their biggest so it's, it,
1: it's It's worse. It's a worse deal than the Rogers one, from what I can see. And because also,
0: the-, the full retail price apparently is $1,725.
1: Yeah, it's just arbitrary. They're just choosing arbitrary numbers. So in, in my opinion, like, like with all that broken down, essentially what we have is buy the phone with cheaper like, Rogers is zero dollars, which is interesting to me. Uh, and pay, you know, $150 a month. So that's or buy a cheaper phone and pay $50 a month around 50. That's how much I'm paying. It's a weird conundrum. In my eyes, like I, I, it's a tough, it's a tough one to, to crack because on the one hand, putting up front cost, like paying $800 up front is kind of a, a, a steep ask even for like a, a, a solid mid range to high range phone. But then there's also that back cost, like, um, having to pay monthly scares me for some reason. Well, I think
0: I think interesting interestingly, one of the questions I think we need to ask with that is whether or not you're okay with a higher monthly cost just in general. So, for example, one of the reasons why I went to Kudo because that's my um, that's my carrier is that I like the fact that I have a lower monthly cost. I like the fact that I can just leave, like it's not a contract and that type of thing um and then when i leave the only thing i really have to do is pay out the rest of like the loan or the tab as they call it and then i can kind of leave and i think that one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is do we want to be stuck in something where let's say something happens to our income do we really want to be like oh my god can i afford my phone bill you know at the end of the day here you're only refreshing your phone you know let's say on let's say on average every 2 years but you could stretch it you know if you had an income problem and i think one of the things is is that I wonder whether we whether we should be thinking of let's separate carrier from phone and let's go with buying the phone and then buying the like going with the carrier. Now, with that being said, if there's a really good deal where the carrier is willing to like subsidize a fair bit and that type of thing, I'm not saying go against that. However, one of the things that I was messaging you about earlier today was the fact that the actual Samsung website. So we'll just use the Note 10 Plus since it's trendy, um, and I was thinking about picking it up. Is that the note 10 plus does have a financing plan from samsung themselves and it's up to a 12 month term and zero percent and all the rest of it and it comes with free galaxy buds as a promo and so one of the things i was thinking was maybe i should be doing that where i can then approach kudo because like that's just part of the deal so if you bring your own phone you can actually get a cheaper plan and so what i would be doing then is looking at the phone as a purchase and not a part of the plan. Cause we all know that like the actual service we get from our carriers is what we really want to pay for per month. Right. And we just associate the phones being with the carrier. Like we just associate them being together where it's like, when I go to change my plan, I get another phone. Like some people do that right every year, every two years, whatever. And so I think what we maybe need to do to get a better thing is let's get a lower monthly cost. And let's think of the phone as a purchase. Like, a lot of people aren't going to think of, like, purchasing an everyday item as, like, oh, now I need to enter a two-year term. Like, a lot of people are not going to think that way. A lot of people are going to say, well, you know, I'll either save up or I'll just buy it or I'll, like, you know, do whatever. But they will generally not finance it, especially when we're talking about, yes, this is $1,500 or up to $1,500, but it is only $1500. You know, there's a lot of things that are way more expensive cars and that type of thing. And so, I think that maybe we need to start looking at it as let's try to stay away in my opinion from financing unless it's a good deal. And so what I would what I would do is like maybe make a half decent down payment. Like I have never I haven't contacted Samsung so I don't know how like flexible the plan is or whatever. But like if I could, what I would do is maybe go to Samsung be like, "Okay, I need I'm going to pay you 400" And I'll finance the rest so that my monthly cost ain't too much. And now I'm keeping my, my phone plan completely separate. And so now I've made a phone purchase and I'm just like paying for the service. It's the same thing as like I need, a, I need a phone. It's literally the same thing as I have YouTube Premium, but I need a device to use it. I didn't go to YouTube Premium to buy a video watching device. You know, I have an iPad, a phone, a computer, so I can use my YouTube Premium.
1: Yeah. Um, and I'll probably, I, can- I agree with a couple things. So I agree that we should separate the phone from the carrier. That's how I feel. And that's how I've done it for the past, I think six, no, I'd say the past four or five years. That's how I've been doing it before I did it where I bought a phone on contract and I subsidized it by the carrier. Now for the last five years, I've been buying phones completely separate from the carrier, like not even from the carrier at all. Um, and that's been working for me. I think peace of mind wise, like you said, I'm paying a little monthly fee. If anything were to happen with work, I could still afford that fee because it's not that much. I think you're right in that, in that, in saying that where like, if you're, you pay how much you can afford for the phone currently right now. So if you're doing well and you can afford $1,500, pay the $1,500. That's your, you know, it's your right. it like, if you like the phone, it's, there's nothing wrong with you spending that much money on it. For me, that's an obscene amount of money to spend on a phone at this point. I can definitely – like if I were to be making like an X amount of more money and stuff like that, maybe it would change. But like that, that I think it's a personal thing. And it might not even be directly related to your income. It might be related to like a psyche of like I don't value a phone as much. Maybe you should value it more. I don't know. But for me, it's like last the, the last phone I bought was the Asus 5Z. It was I think $500 all in from I got it on eBay with a good deal and it's been working just perfectly fine for me and it's like I I can't I don't have any issue with using it for another year as long as it doesn't break essentially that's how I feel about it like like Matt said every two years is usually when I kind of go around for switching phones I have done a little bit longer before like two and a half but essentially usually it's around every two years I plan on keeping that because I do like to stay up to date with technology and I know I could for sure use the phone for longer um, but I'm kind of one of those people that like to stay up to date with technology. So two years is a good mark for me. So in, probably in a year from now, I'll be looking at another mid-range, you know, you know price to performance champ kind of phone, maybe a one plus, maybe an Asus, um, or maybe a Xiaomi phone, de- depending on what the offering is. But I'm probably not going to go with... The top of the line as much as i want like that amazing screen that the galaxy has i think that's like the things that you're going to sacrifice are sacrifice are going to be those like extremely premium things right like the the screen the like the 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 features that um I don't even know what, what other. I guess the pen would be one that the Galaxy has that no other phone would have and you're paying premiums for that. So I'm willing to sacrifice those couple of features to get a solid device that I can pay up front and I don't feel bad about it because like during my own mental gymnastics, I feel okay spending the $500. And then as soon as it goes above like $800, I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I guess, I, I think that's a personal preference kind of thing. And that's, that's where I, fall on the spectrum. Um, And I don't, I don't know. I think everyone's going to be different on that spectrum with personal preference, uh, their, their current like income and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think, I think that it is, it is sort of, it it is sort of like um, really hinging on the fact that what you value, like to me, I, I think of it as, so obviously I have like nice computers and nice things like that. And the way I always have kind of looked at it is we are in the tech game. So our luxury items are the tech like I'm not running around in like Gucci suits and stuff like that I don't have like designer all these designer clothes and that type of thing I don't have like a super nice car I drive an old like I drive a 15 year old car I don't like that this is sort of like my luxury item I guess is sort of thing is or my luxury item set where it's like I have a nice screen I have like set like you know a few computers and like I have a brand new laptop that type of thing like I I, that sort of that's sort of like our thing. And so like you, you, for example, you may value other things differently. Maybe you, like you like to travel more than me for sure. Like yep. you travel way more than me. So obviously like one of your trips is going to be like a quarter sometimes of this phone, depending on how crazy the trip is. You know what I mean? Like, like if you, you know what I mean? It'd be 25%. This phone would be 25% of your trip cost. Whereas me, I'm just like, Oh, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'll just buy this phone kind of thing. Um, It's another thing too, where I had a really weird path where I was on Blackberries for a really long time, stuck there until literally there was no Facebook app and then jumped to an LG G4, which was fine, but performed, terribly like months later just a terrible performance it ate battery whether or not i was supposed to erase it and this that and the other thing you can nitpick me again hit me up on twitter i don't know what happened i just <laughs> used the damn thing i had a really massive battery that i had bought for it because it was ripping through battery like crazy terrible performance on pokemon go and stuff just just bad like i had i personally had a bad experience that's all i'm just trying to say but the phone was fine like it take good pictures and stuff not and trying to ditch anyone but anyway regardless of which I needed to leave that experience because I was just beating the hell out of that thing. I was just using it too much. Jump to an S8 Plus, use the hell out of that. I got a Key 2 in front of me. I, I, I won that. I have a BlackBerry Key 2 in front of me. And I use that every day for all my social media, all my stuff like that, because I can rip on that keyboard like a crazy, like a, a crazy. So I just like phones, I think, at this point, is like, I I jump around a lot, I'm very opinionated on phones, you're kind of like, I use this thing as a tool, me, I'm like, yeah, I use it as a tool and I want the best, I want that screen, because like, when I saw the Galaxy S8 Plus like, it's no joke, when I took it home, I was like, Jesus Christ, they have screens like this? Like, that was literally my experience, and and same with the monitors, like, I've I purchased a new monitor now, because my other one was just the other one was a disaster, the cable was broken it was broken, it was a disaster, total disaster but, the point is, now I have a really nice screen, and again, Jesus Christ, they have screens like this? Like, and and so because I got like because I had such an upgrade and such a shock, now I'm like, oh, I want that S Pen. Ooh, I want to I want to have the courage to dump that terrible terrible headphone jack.
1: <laughs> and so, You got to get that courage.
0: <laughs> I got to have the courage and to get rid of that 100 year old jack. Man, we've been using plugs and walls for probably over 100 years now. Like, how fucking disgusting is a cable and plugging something in? But anyway, um, just just swearing it up to right now too. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But Point of the matter is, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is to me, I value that more, I think, but I'm not going crazy. It's not like I'm buying a new, you know, I'm still being reasonable. I'm looking for a deal. I'm waiting for the phone to age a bit and making sure that it works well and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I think about it first. I didn't just go like, oh, pre order, you know, that was it. I didn't just jump into it and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that, I, I don't know. It, I think the reason why I'm hesitating is because it's so subjective, subjective. it's because it's, like okay, so I'll ask you a question. Actually, I'll pose you a question now. So you bought that five Z, right, or five Z as we say in Canada? You bought that Asus five Z. What you you said you need to turn it around next year, probably. So what's that? A year and a half? A year? What is that?
1: Two years. Exactly two years. Now would you That's say
0: would you say that you need to turn it around because it's acting? Like it's being bad, like but with my LG, no, it no, worked I'm, well for I'm, a year okay, and then I'll, it was just a disaster. Like,
1: no, no, I, it's going to be purely a thing that I just, I want a new phone. That's how it's going to be. I know for sure, because this phone, I I think would be able to do three, maybe four years with the performance that it has without really crap. suffering that badly. Right. Like it it's that, it's that good. Cause it has the top of the line chipset. Like it's an 845 processor. It has six gigs of Ram. Like it, it has a nice screen. Like there's not much else you need. You know what I mean? It's not like it has a, it has a slower processor. It has the, everything top of the line. The camera is great. It keeps getting updates. Like I'm getting the next update. Uh, what, what is it? Android Q or something? Whatever it is. I'm getting Android Q. It's getting updates. Everything's fine. For my, my thing is, is that I'm, I'm also like you. I like the new, new stuff. Um, but I'll do it a little bit slower. Like we're just on different levels. Like if you yeah, want yeah. The, the if you want your to replace your Note eight plus now with a Samsung ten, what is that like a year and a bit for your eight? Well,
0: no. So this is an This is a uh, this is just an S eight plus. So yeah. um, one of the things is I want to try the pen in that because I've never had a Note before um and i per- i think it's 2 years bang on almost exactly because i remember that remember that the note comes out after the galaxy and i remember i purchased the galaxy s8 plus right as the note 8 was coming out
1: so it's the same thing for me then i like after 2 years i'll be buying another phone for that for the exact same reason that you're buying it
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think maybe I've like gotten spoiled by Samsung now with the nice screen and stuff. So I'm just like, Ooh, I gotta have this nice screen now. And I gotta have mm-hmm. this pressure sensitive bottom and these touch gest- t- touch gestures and the yeah. one UI and everything. Like, I think I've maybe been spoiled a bit, but I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it's $1,500. Like it's a fair bit of cash, but it's not going to break bankrupt me over a two year or more period. Cause like, I'm probably still going to wait. Like I'm, you know, I'm talking like I'm going to buy this today. I might not even purchase this. I might be like, yeah, I'll wait till the 11. And then maybe I'll even, (laughs) when the 11 comes out, I'll buy the 10. Like I'll buy the 10 plus. I don't know. I'll see. But if there's a really good deal, then maybe. And then that'll, because part of the fun is losing the headphone jack, as we all know. That's that's part of the fun. I use my, I use wired headphones every day. And part of the fun (laughs) is going to be the fact that I now have to replace them with a $200 pair of headphones. Now, okay. I actually have a really brief question about this now okay i'm on a wired this this is relating to the conversation though so i'm gonna yeah, yeah, relate yeah. it back just hang on a minute here hang on a minute your honor this is relevant to the case now <laughs> <laughs> so i have this I, ha- I am currently wired into my computer via this 100 year old headphone jack 3.5 millimeter headphone jack now that's fine Ready for our lives the question is i will sit here while i'm working and want to watch stuff So I have an iPad mini original, the OG, like the OG original iPad mini one. I cleaned it up, got rid of all the accounts, all that crap. And I just put video apps on it now, Twitch, YouTube, the whole bit. And so I said, okay, now I'm going to have two monitors for my screen, for my computer. And I'm going to have this little monitor here. And so what I'll do is I'll wirelessly connect to it. I have two sets of two sets of wireless headphones. I have Sony set and they're not cheap. These are good freaking headphones i have a wireless set of sony's and i also have a wireless set of jaybirds okay because i'm sitting here for so long doing the work and that type of thing and just having this like you know background noise on i rip and i'm serious i rip through that battery now i could use this disgusting hundred year old technology but my question is people say oh the wireless is so much better but there's people who are music nuts out there that would listen to music. I would assume longer than I sit here to work, and I rip through the first set of batteries. And then sometimes I gotta go and get the Jaybirds. So I like pop off the Sony's, put them on the charger, grab the Jaybirds, put the Jaybirds in, connect to them, listen to that jbird And if it's a really heavy day, it's like the Jaybirds are done. Take the Jaybirds out, put them on the table or put them on the charger. Grab the other one off the charger, put the Sony's on. Like that's what has to happen. Now, if I were to say do this, I'm gonna have Galaxy Buds as well, and I ordered fricking Xiaomi ones. But the question is, is, like, people are like, oh, the AirPods and everything else are so great. But that battery life is a serious freaking problem, isn't it? Like, yeah. there's no one, does no one see that being a problem? I want to sit here and li- and watch YouTube because it's literally background noise. I want to watch YouTube for, like, nine hours. People are like, oh, that's a six-hour talk time on that headset you got there. That's pretty good. I'm here for nine hours.
1: So, let me – okay. So, um it is a problem, and I don't think everyone is – on board with the headphone jack being off. I think people are just accepting it and uh, approving of it or whatever. But most people, if they were to be asked, do you, would you want the headphone jack to be back? Most people, I think, would say yes. Because there's no benefit of taking it out, realistically. Like, actually, physically, everything about it, like, it's just a pure money play, right? Just to get people to buy more expensive headphones. That's all it is, period. There's no other, like, you can't, no person... Ever could explain it to me otherwise. It's one hundred thousand percent a money grab. Fair enough. We're pawns in this thing. It's fine. We'll I'll I'll deal with it. Like there's nothing there's no, no, there's nothing we can do. We just got to accept it. It's adapting. So I think for one hundred percent, people are still not fully okay with it. They're just accepting of it. There's some people that like the convenience of Bluetooth headphones, and I'll and I'll agree. I have I have a pair of uh, Bluetooth headphones that like. Like, like the Galaxy Airbuds, they're the Xiaomi Air Dots. Which, which I ordered fan- as well. Which you ordered as well. And they're fantastic. Like, they're great for what they are, but they're not what you're saying. Like, they're not good for you sitting down and watching YouTube for an hour or two. They're good for you getting up and taking a phone call. They're good for you going for a walk around the block and listening. They're good for you mowing the lawn for like half an hour, 40 minutes. They're good for you going out to the subway and listening to music while you're, you know, traveling to work. They're good for that. They're amazing for that. But there like there's a very specific reason why the MacBook still has a headphone jack, which is because, disgusting like, by the way, which is disgusting but but like you said, people that need audio quality, like people that are editing video, Bluetooth hasn't cut up with audio quality yet. It's not even close. no okay? and, and it with, does
0: it does cut out what people like despite what people say, it does yeah. sometimes I'll be like, what the hell's that noise?" and it'll like beep yeah. and then it'll shut
1: off for sure. there's still issues with it like in, in a large city like New York, there's still issues with airPods because there's just so much interference going around you oh my so you're God, walking I didn't in New York you can't, yeah like it's it's actually s- it's still a problem but uh that's why like that's why Macbooks still have the headphone jack because a you're sitting down you're working for 8 hours and then you need to listen to something like they don't have the battery technology yet to provide that so they're still going to keep giving the headphone jack until they work that out or until they're close until they have like AirPods can do you know eight hours of, or seven hours of battery life, six hours, even they'll do that. Then they'll, then they'll take the headphone jack out or like the audio quality would become closer and closer. They will for sure remove it, but that's the, but that's the issue. Like you're hundred percent right with the performance. Now I have decent Bluetooth headphones that last me around eight hours. So I don't have that problem too, too much, but I hate having to charge all of my devices all the time. So I'm, I'm with you on the fact that I need a cord, like my, my favorite headset does have a cord most of most of my headphones are corded except for like the like i said um those air dots which are great for convenience that that's where i stand on the on the whole thing i don't like the fact that headphone jacks are going away but i'm not going to be sitting here and saying like i'm going to protest or anything like it's not up to me it's up to the people trying to make money and they they lead the the way right like we can't do anything about it
0: well, like one of the, one other thing I was told too is just like you know just use the adapter. So if we bring it back to this, where it's like you know the Note Ten Plus, if if you if people like just use the adapter and they say, well, you just leave the adapter. So like the the headphone to USB C, they're like, oh, just use leave the adapter on your headphones. But I'm like, what if I need to charge my phone? You got to remember here; these phones are freaking pumping out a hell of a lot of pixels. They don't exactly last forever.
1: Yeah, and so, so I, don't, I don't think that's a valid argument. Like.
0: That's what I always said. It's like it's like if I'm having trouble with battery life in general, and also actually talking about that that charging thing. Let's hypothetically say I got the Note 10 Plus. Get the Note 10 Plus. That's USB C. All right, hooray! Now I have a special dongle that needs to charge the Jaybirds, which uses which plugs into micro USB, and then my uh, Sony's plug into micro USB. Now, admittedly, yes, each one of them is a couple of years old, so you could make that argument. Like, well, those are all my new ones. Yeah, thank you very much for that. But the thing is, is like. I can't – I can, but I don't want to keep charging everything. Like, this is getting freaking crazy now. Like, this is – I mean, a, a yeah. charging pad, of course – Oh, bumping my microphone. A, a charging ca- a charging pad, of course, fixes fixes this whole thing. But, like, we're pushing tech forward before it's ready now. It's yeah. like people were like, well, the, the, the old MacBooks or the old Macs used to – they took out the the CD drive. It's like, but I didn't notice it, and I was in tech. Because I didn't care because I was getting away from CDs anyway. So, like, I think they did it probably at the appropriate time. Of course, there's going to be some people that are having trouble with the transition. But this is like, hey, guys, we haven't worked on our batteries. What the heck's going on here? Because I would love, seriously, to have, like, my Jaybirds or have something, and I'm, like, this might sound crazy. I would love to be have something actually implanted in my ear. Like, I'm serious now. And just have it so that I just have my audio from my phone and, and go into my head at all times, seriously. And then I just have that. I don't know how the heck it would charge, but yes, wireless is the future. But the future is not now.
1: Yeah. So agreed.
0: I know that's I know that's off topic, but related. Even though I lied, as I just lied to the lied to the judge here, but. Um, <laughs> But I mean I thought it would come back more toward the topic, but it ended up going further and turning it into batteries and all this. Actually, there <laughs> actually there's one final question, because this episode's getting long. With that five Z, because it has less flassy features like the screen and such, are you sacrificing battery life or how is that going with how's that
1: going, basically? No, no, battery life is great. Battery life, honestly, it's like I I hardly ever have an issue with lasting a day sometimes if i if i'm using it normally i'll last like a day and a half even the battery life is perfectly fine the thing where it sacrifices are the screen is an amoled um
0: tell me you don't have an infinity display yeah i don't have an
1: infinity display i think that, that that's the only thing where i would say like oh okay it's 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 a little bit of a sacrifice that's it. Okay. Everything else is everything else is great. Like I have I have no complaints about the phone, and even then, even having said that, the screen is perfectly fine.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Well, there's there's another point for the for the non flagship brand new phones, and and realistically, I know we didn't touch on it much, but realistically, you could really just buy a one gen back, and it wouldn't be that bad. Considering yeah, you're I, you're buying a lower tier phone and not using it for two years, you could buy a flagship phone that's a year old for less. Use that for two years because you're you're on cutting edge before. Now you're on the edge, and then you're over. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Well, um, I think that concludes this episode. Unless you have uh something else, I don't have my show notes because my computer blue screen in the middle of this. I just realized. So nope, f- it's all good. So Mike, do you want to do the conclusion for the first time ever? Oh like, my, Guinness, okay. Guinness uh, World all right, Records. All right.
1: I'll do it. I'll do it. Do Thanks it. Thanks for listening, and make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on your platform of choice. Of choice, you can follow us on any of our socials. It's HTML all HTML all the things. Facebook and Instagram. HTML everything on Twitter. You, we're on Medium. We're on GitHub. Uh, you can check us out on Patreon and help us help us. Uh, you know, boost our community. I like to. I could. We could find us there at Patreon.com/slash/html/all the things. And there's plenty of tiers, or there's actually only two tiers. There's only so two plenty. tiers. There's on de- now. Only, definitely only a couple. <laughs> uh, But thank you to our Patreons currently, which is Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript, and that's works with a W-E-R-K-S. You can check him out on YouTube at youtube.com slash rabbitworksjavascript. There's Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design. That's localpathcomputing.com. There's Craig, a.k.a. Cosworth. And there's Ryan Gatchel from Blue... Blue Black Digital, blueblackdigital.com. So feel free to leave us a comment or review on any of the platforms that you're listening to this on, and we are signing off. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Christ.